Like, I remember Simon Cowell doing a cameo in Shrek 2 back in 2002 or something like that. Why is he still having, like, these cameos? I, I, I absolutely love as well. Midway through the film, I think Daphne says, oh, don't you love Simon Cowell? He's responsible for Kenny Clarkson. I'm like, that was 2002. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That, that just felt like such an outdated reference. Welcome to episode 17 of the Dan and Joe Film Show. Hope you're well and hope you're staying safe. Obviously, a lot of lockdown restrictions happen here in the UK. But one thing that hasn't been restricted is my love for this young, fine gentleman. It's the one, the only, <laughs> Mr. Joe Richards. How are you? Yeah, you're in a good mood today, aren't you? I it's am. The sun. It's because the sun's out, I think. You're looking like um, you've got, you're getting a bit of a tan going by there, I've got to say, Dan. Um, Stop it, you. It's all fake. It's all fake. It's all fake. You're on the sunbeds, mm. you, instead of actually going going out there. and Which I know isn't true, because obviously we, we saw each other yesterday. It wasn't really nice yesterday, though. It's a lot nicer today. Yeah. But um, we saw each other yesterday, didn't we? we? We are now in that point in lockdown where we can actually go out and do stuff together. And it was lovely. We went out. Mm. We had... Mexican food from a, a, a franchise, which is lovely, tasty. And we took it to Cardiff Castle, which is free entry at the moment. And we yeah. sat there on a bench with our, with our uh, burritos. You had tacos. Mm. I'm a burrito guy. You're a taco guy. Um, yeah, and, it was meant uh, to be. And, and it was lovely, wasn't it? It was nice just catching up in person and talking about love and life and loss. Maybe not so much loss, but... <laughs> everything else yeah it got we got very philosophical didn't we um, and it was it was lovely it was a really nice i feel like july is is going to be a good month I've, I've got a feeling i think things are going to change and yeah it was lovely i obviously no physical contact i did try and uh, slap his bum but yeah it didn't work um and uh, i did try and kind of go in it was a bit awkward but anyway good to see your face fingers crossed in the future we are going to be getting back to the studio because as much as we love doing it this way <laughs> we love we love cutting each other off. Uh, we, we, love the, we, we, we love the muting, you know, all that's great. But we are, you know, the studio is our second home. So fingers crossed very soon we're going to be uh, heading back there. Obviously, one big thing this week in terms of guest news is cinemas have reopened in England. And I'm lucky enough I'm going to go on the weekend uh, over to over the border, over to that place called Bristol, up in Bristol. And yeah, and then the Guelph government have just announced that they're uh, opening 27th of July, which is great. And it kind of feels like now it's all going to come in together and hopefully no more changes to the schedule. The release schedule, I feel awful. It's like every other week we're kind of telling our listeners, we're like, oh, so this uh, is now going to be out July the 15th. And then by the time we do the next show, <laughs> we're like, it's October the 12th. And yeah, so it'd be good to start getting some 
firm dates in the diary and it's also exciting because we are always working behind the scenes and we're always looking ahead at what's coming out and fingers crossed we've got some exciting stuff coming out now in the next couple of weeks and it'll just be nice to be back in the cinema in that environment because yesterday when I met you it was the first time I'd been in that area like just stood outside the cinema for the first time in months and I it really kind of hit home how much I missed it and people thought I was being silly and stuff but it is it's a part of my routine as mm. same with you daily routine massive part of our lives but I'm intrigued so what are you going to watch in Bristol then are you going to watch an old release well they are showing so many I'm not going to say what cinema it is but they are literally showing every film from the past 40 years <laughs> in that place um, they're showing all the classics you've got musicals La La Land they're showing Beauty and the Beast you've got uh, The Shining which I know you love um, <laughs> they've got It and um, they've got all of them um, but actually you'll be happy to know I'm going to go watch Back to the Future <laughs> no way I don't yeah. believe that for a second well I don't we'll see we'll see how it goes but um, but saying that it is being released later on with Cineworld so I might have to weigh it out like, you know, do I want to, I'd rather use my limited card. But no, there, I'm going to watch, I think, Mission Impossible Fallout, which is playing, uh, nice. which I really want to see on the big screen again, because I love it so much. Grease is showing as well. I love Grease. I, something about that musical is my favourite musical, and it's, it's something that's close to my heart. You know, back in the day, back before the show, back before puberty, I was in the school production of Grease, and I played, yes, the one, the only, the star of the show, Vince Fontaine. That's what you're going to think, <laughs> wouldn't you? You're going to think that. You're going to be like, who's the star of Greece? Who's John Travolta? Yeah, Vince yeah. Fontaine. Yeah. He's, a, he's a disc jockey. Yeah. Um, yeah. So yeah, I, I love it. I've seen it like five times. I've seen it in the West End. I've seen it with the school production. Very similar, both. Same quality, no different. John Travolta, the sensational star of Saturday Night Fever, ignites the screen in Greece. We're now joined by Cecil Trachenberg from Good Bad Flicks. He has over 300,000 subscribers and currently has over 69 million views across all of his videos. Very impressive. So thank you for joining us, Cecil. Thank you for having me. It's our pleasure. And we're going to start off talking about a YouTube channel. I know you've probably been asked multiple times uh, about how that came about. What was your inspiration to starting Good Bad Flicks? Back in 2009, uh, there was kind of the rise of the internet reviewer. Uh, YouTube had been around for a few years and other sites like uh, blip.tv and whatnot were coming along. And you had people that were reviewing just about everything, video games, movies. At the time, there was the shtick of like the angry reviewer. You had people like the Nostalgia Critic and you had uh, the Angry Video Game Nerd. Now the thing with the Angry Video Game Nerd was what I liked about him was that he did the angry reviews of video games but he would talk about movies and he was really a big fan of like monster movies and stuff. So whenever he did the Monster Madness it was always like more of a positive thing. 
I have friends all throughout the, the country. I had talked to them and I'm, I'm actually a, a video editor. And I was like, I did like a movie review show. Do you think you guys would want to watch? And they were like, yeah, sure. Because they like movies, but they don't know movies like I know movies. <laughs> so I wanted to recommend stuff to them. I was planning on having my first episode out in December of 2009. But because I really, really overthink things. My first episode was on a movie called Don't Open Till Christmas, which didn't come out until March of 2010. So putting out a Christmas movie in March, they really liked it. And I kind of kept doing it. And, you know, I didn't expect it to go anywhere. I didn't really think it was going to go anywhere beyond just my friends, because really, they were the only ones that were watching. And, and I wasn't even on YouTube at the time I was on blip.tv, because you had an easier time of dealing with copyright stuff over there. They didn't, uh, they didn't troll you like uh, YouTube did and still does. I was doing that. And I started getting messages from people who I didn't know, people who stumbled upon the videos and they really liked them and they were telling me how much they enjoyed them. And that's when I thought I might kind of be onto something. And then after that, I moved over to YouTube and uh, the audience has just gotten bigger and bigger over the years. Yeah, very, very much bigger for sure. But for those who aren't aware of your YouTube channel, can you tell those about the type of content that you produce? I do a variety of stuff, but probably the two main videos that I do, I do regular videos, which are just straight up called, uh, you know, Good Bad Flicks, where I take a movie that you may or may not have heard of and I'll go through the plot and I'll do some kind of mystery science theater style riffing on it and talk about the, the good and the bad. And, and then at the end, I will talk a little bit about the production, just kind of do a, a brief Reader's Digest version of, hey, here's what they went through to make this thing happen. And then end it with, here's why I like it. Here's why it's a movie that I decided to talk about. The other videos I do are called Exploring. They are the mini documentary style videos. They're ones where I do my best to dig up as much information about the film as possible. I'll take a movie that I enjoy or a movie that is flawed and I know a little bit about the production and I will either dig up as much as I can or I'll contact people involved in the production, see who I can get a hold of, see who wants to talk about it, and try to get more of the story behind how this whole thing happened. And it makes for some really good uh, videos because there's a lot of movies where the movie that we ended up with is not what was originally intended or is just completely you know, left field from what the studio wanted. And some cases, there's the real movie that exists. And then there's the version that we got. So as kind of what's happening with the Snyder Cut, the Justice League movie, there's a lot of movies out there where there is director's cuts and whatnot that exist. But for whatever reason, the studio didn't want to release that version. And I like talking about a lot of those getting the story out there because it's gotten a lot of people to respect these movies that they may have hated, like The Crow, City of Angels. They completely forcibly reshot a large chunk of that movie and cut it down to be something that was completely different from what it was originally intended. So there's a lot of people who are like, you know, I really wish we would get this version. And I like being able to tell those stories because it kind of vindicates a lot of the people that worked on these films that they worked really hard to get this thing made. And then some overeager producer decides to completely screw the thing over and then 
you know, everyone ends up hating it. And then they're mad at the director when it's not the director's fault. Absolutely. Absolutely. And that's what I love about your channel is the fact that you do videos on films that I've never heard of before or films like Justice League that has been manipulated by the studio and turned out completely different from what it was intended. So yeah, I couldn't agree more with that. Obviously, we've had other YouTube critics on the show. We've had Sean Chandler as well. And we've asked them about YouTube and kind of how do you balance, Cecil, the demands of YouTube with your everyday life? How do you manage that? I'm kind of a workaholic. So it's really taken over a large portion of my life. <laughs> I try my best to balance it so that I do, uh, you know, not too much work here. But in order to kind of meet the demands of YouTube, you really do have to put a lot into it. I mean, it is, you know, my full-time job. So I treat it as such, but I will say that I work on this a lot harder than I ever have at any other job. Because any other job, I would do 40, 50, you know, sometimes 60 hour weeks. My last job, I was a video editor. I had a whole bunch of different responsibilities. I used to have to work a lot of overtime. And, and this is also while I was still doing this. Now, thankfully, when I was starting out, I did not have a five-year-old child to, uh, to deal with. So it was really just trying to negotiate, all right, how can I do this on the side? as well as, you know, do my full-time job and not be, uh, you know, a complete zombie. And the answer to that is caffeine. Um, <laughs> yes, we love coffee. Yes, yes. big coffee drinkers here, yeah. Large quantities of, uh, of coffee and, and uh, soda uh, helped get me through those first couple of years. But now, meeting the demands, I try to work like nine to five and stop and then go and have dinner and spend time with the family and whatnot. And then usually after that, I end up coming back and continuing working until uh, it's time to go to sleep. Really, I work seven days a week. I occasionally give myself some nights off, but I'm just constantly doing interviews, trying to reach out to different uh, producers and directors and whatnot about films. Thankfully, I mean, I love what I do. It's frustrating at times, but the rewards are there. And, uh, and it's nice being your own boss. What, what about getting out to the cinema? Obviously, I, I suppose you've got to make time to actually go out and see the films as well. We're obviously halfway through 2020 now. So are there any highlights of this year for you, which uh, you, you want to mention film-wise? Due to a combination of being really busy, I'm also working on like a couple of documentaries. I did a documentary that came out last year called In Search of Darkness. We're doing the sequel for that. So I've got a lot of stuff going on there. That compiled with my regular schedule, compiled with COVID, uh, <laughs> I haven't been out to see anything this year. It'll be interesting to see what happens this year as far as movies are concerned, though. I think studios right now are being very weary about what to release because, you know, you don't know. You might dump a $200 million movie into the theaters and then people are still paranoid about going out. So, you know, you're not going to get that box office return like you normally would. I was just looking up before I got on, Bad Boys for Life is the highest grossing film of the year. <laughs> and I have a feeling that had this had been a normal year, 
it probably would not be the highest grossing film of the year. Absolutely. It's been a crazy year. Lots of surprises, I know. And finally, we do this segment with a lot of our guests on the show and interviews. It's a really fun segment. It's called Desert Island Films, a bit like Desert Island Discs, I guess. Um, so imagine if you uh, crash landed on a desert island, what one film would you choose? See? So it could be your favorite film of all time. It could be a film uh, you don't get bored of easily. Uh, what film would you choose? Oh man, one film. Uh, it's tough. <laughs> it's really tough. Like usually it's like, you know, what five films or what? No, but, but cutting it down to one film, uh, I would probably go with a movie called the quiet earth it's absolutely brilliant it's one of, it's not my favorite film of all time but it is one of my favorite it's probably my top 10 of all time but i think it's just a really unique film it's very original it's it's a movie you can watch over and over again and i think being is that i would be alone on a desert island it probably would make sense to watch a movie called, uh, because the whole movie uh, I think probably the first half of the film is the lead actor alone. He basically uh, wakes up one morning and finds that he's the last person alive on earth. And this was, you know, decades before the Will Smith movie and whatnot, which I realized was, was based off of the, the book, but this was basically like not even monsters or anything, just like nothing is left. And so the guy starts to lose his mind because he's alone and uh, it's, it's an amazing film. If you've never seen it, I give it like my highest possible recommendation. Well, we'll definitely go out and watch it for sure. Thank you so much uh, for doing this with us. It's been a pleasure chatting to you. Uh, before you go, if you'd like to just plug a YouTube channel and social media, where can people find you? You can find me on YouTube on Good Bad Flicks. Uh, I'm also on Facebook and Twitter as Good Bad Flicks. I have a Twitch channel, which I haven't used in a little while, but I am getting back to it very soon, which is also Good Bad Flicks. So, oh, and I have... Um, I, there's a podcast that I do with a couple of friends of mine called uh, Radio Drome, and that is on a site called 1201beyond.com with a bunch of other podcasts. Uh, we talk about a lot of exploitation films and other uh, movie oddities and whatnot. So uh, if you're into that sort of thing, you can uh, check it out. Definitely. Can't wait to. Uh, thank you again, Cecil Trachenberg, for joining us, Mr. Good Bad Flicks. And yeah, best of luck uh, with the videos coming. I know, I know you've got a busy schedule. So yeah, thank you again for doing this. No problem, man. Thanks for having me, guys. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Shaggy and Scooby were taken? Yeah. This blue light what? came down from the sky and beamed them up. I, I can't. I, I can't breathe. I have to assume that if they were with their friends, they wouldn't have been kidnapped. Okay. Can you skip the emotional punishment? Dude, hang on. Do you realize where we are? No. Look around, man. The clean, modern aesthetic, the cool blue color palette. We're in Ikea. the Falcon Fury. Did you say Ikea? Nope. I said Falcon Fury, just like you. And this is Scoob. Basically, this film came out back in May the 15th in America. <laughs> Funny story, Joe and I woke up. We were like, oh, great. We, we're going to watch Scoob now. Went downstairs and Joe messaged me saying, oh, there is no Scoob. It hasn't been released in the UK, which is bad because it was marketed like it was going to be a bit like Trolls World Tour. It's going to be streamed everywhere. 
but we finally got it, alas, and it's directed by Tony Kavon. He's been involved with the Scooby-Doo franchise for many, many years. You know, he's somebody who's, who's directed some of the films, the TV series, but this is kind of reimagining of it. And you've got an all-star cast here. You've got Will Fort, Mark Wahlberg, Jason Isaacs, uh, Zac Efron, Amanda Seyfried, a big, big cast here. And the story is basically, we've got Scooby and the gang facing their most challenging mystery ever. They've got a plot to unleash the ghost dog, Suberius, upon the world. As they race to stop the dog apocalypse, the gang discovers that Scooby has an epic destiny greater than anyone imagined. So basically, Scooby and Shaggy get abducted, and they've got to retrieve these three skulls. And when they do, they realize that Scooby is the key, the key to unlocking and saving the world. We both saw this this morning. It is out today to rent on Amazon Prime, Apple TV, all the good streaming services everywhere. It's had mixed reviews. And a funny thing, you know, it started and I was like, I'm a big fan of Scooby-Doo, just this right now. I, I love it. I loved it as a child. I love the, t I love the films. I know people yeah. don't. I think they're great. And I think the reason they're great is because casting. I think, you know, Sarah Michelle Gellar plays a good Daphne. She's like Daphne. Matthew Lillard plays a good Shaggy. And he actually came forward and said, I, I really wanted to do this and they wouldn't let me. When the film started, it's them as children, the mystery gang. I was like, wow, this is really sweet and cute. They show us how Shaggy and Scooby mate. And there's a scene where they have to go to like a haunted building. And I was like, wow, this reminds me of my childhood. I was like, this is really sweet. Nothing groundbreaking. And then the fun stops. And then for some reason, the film decides to include, yes, a guy that's very down with the kids, Simon Cowell. Because every 12-year-old girl and boy thinks, oh, I want Simon Cowell in my movie. And Simon Cowell is basically introduced, he has a cameo, and then from then on, something strange happened, and it just got worse and worse and worse. The storyline is absolutely ludicrous. It makes no sense. It is basically a match between Dora the Explorer and Indiana Jones. It didn't even feel like a Scooby-Doo story. I want ghosts, I want ghoulies, I want more horror elements. That is Scooby-Doo, you know? I want them pulling off a mask and saying, no, hey, you did it, kids. But I think the film issue is that it's so hesitant on going on with the originals ideas that made Scooby-Doo so good. It wants to freshen it up, it wants to revamp it, and it's to its detriment, I think, because they take on this story, and you've got Mark Wahlberg in it, and Jason Isaacs, who plays the villain, and it just doesn't work. It, it just, it feels like a rehash from other films, like Indiana Jones and Dora, and um, it doesn't quite find its feet. And there are fun moments here and there, I've got to say, it wasn't painful, I've sat through worst animation, but the real issue I had with this film was the casting. And I don't know why they think by casting all these new actors that are so young and hip with the kids that it's going to necessarily make it a better film. Will Fort, I thought, was fine as Shaggy. I think Shaggy and Scooby are the best thing in the film. They have a nice chemistry. I actually got, I didn't get emotional, but there is a bit at the end where I was like, yeah, that's really sweet. And I think if the movie had focused more on them, it would have been better. However, basically what happens is they get split up. The gang gets split up halfway through the movie. So basically, over half the film, the gang are not together, which I think is huge crime. It, it, it's crazy because I wanted to see the mystery gang, you know, solve a case. So I think the stuff involving Shaggy and Scooby is good. However, then you have a subplot involving Fred, Daphne and Velma. And honestly, I just think it's such miscasting. Gina Rodriguez is Velma. It just doesn't work. Amanda Seyfried doesn't work because she, she doesn't have that charm. And she doesn't have, I don't know, it wasn't a good fit. And Zac Efron, they hired him because he's Zac Efron. So I think casting-wise, major mistake. Like I said, the storyline, it's really hard to follow and it gets very ludicrous. And also, you know, if you're going to do a Scooby-Doo film, bring the gang back together for the whole film, you know? 
don't have them separate for over half of it. Not a big fan of this one, to be honest. Disappointing. I think hardcore fans of Scooby-Doo are going to be left. Very disappointed. And I put on my little uh, review on Letterboxd, Scooby-Dooby, don't waste your money. <laughs> no way! I did a similar thing on Letterboxd. My review on Letterboxd was literally just Scooby-Dooby, don't. <laughs> But yeah, to the point. But um, yeah, for me, this doesn't feel like a Scooby-Doo movie. This is the biggest issue for me. I thought it started off like you, really, really strong. And I, I kind of feel like the marketing kind of misled us all a little bit as to what this film was actually going to be. Because obviously they didn't call it Scooby-Doo and the Hunt for the Three Skulls. They called it Scoo. And the kind of poster is a puppy Scoo doing a riff of the Phantom Menace poster and then the shadow of, you know, adult Scoob. And I thought this was going to be an origin story. And I thought that would have really been the best way to go to do something fresh and original on, a, on an old franchise. Stick to the origin story aspect of it. Stick to that focus of how Scooby met Shaggy, how the whole gang kind of met each other as kids and had their first adventure in a haunted house in their teenage years. I thought that would have been a much more inventive way of bringing Scooby-Doo franchise into the modern day. But like you said, what you instead get, you get 10 minutes of that, of that opening stuff, which is lovely and sweet. I've got to say, very cute, the, the first 10, 15 minutes, that relationship between Scooby and Shaggy, the heart of the movie, is really sweet. But then after that 10-15 minutes, the grown-up, Simon Cowell rocks up for no apparent reason. That that is that again, I think that's just ridiculous. Of all I definitely the, think there, there was a deal going on there between the studios for sure. Yeah, but like of all the celebrities they can get, all the popular kind of icons at the moment, I, I would have rather drew Paul. I turned to my better half. I was like, this should have been RuPaul on here. Like, get get just get somebody. If you're trying to, like, revamp a franchise... Like, I remember Simon Cowell doing a cameo in, like, Shrek 2 back in 2002 or something like that. Like, why is he still having, like, these cameos? I, I, I absolutely love as well. Midway through the film, I think Daphne says, oh, don't you love Simon Cowell? He's responsible for Kenny Clarkson. I'm like, that was 2002! <laughs> yeah, yeah. That, that just felt like such an outdated reference. I can see what they were doing. I feel like they have become so embroiled in what kids are into these days, which is mainly superhero stuff. And this is so... I don't want to spoil anything for, for a lot of people who are big fans of Scooby-Doo and that whole universe, the Hanna-Barbera um, cartoon franchise. But there are essentially a lot of characters from other properties that Hanna-Barbera did back in the day who make an appearance here. So I won't spoil all of them, but Dick Dastardly from Catch the Pigeon and Wacky Races, he's the main villain here. So it's as if they've basically gone, we want to create a Scooby-Doo universe. We want to create like a MCU version of Scooby-Doo. So we're going to have characters like Blue Falcon, who's played by uh, Mark Wahlberg, and Dick Dastardly show up, and other characters through the film. It just felt like really pointless and overly convoluted. This is a kid's film at the end of the day, a family film. It doesn't need to be like, oh, right, we're going to go here now and we're going to have a fight with 
this character literally just so that this character can have an appearance who's originally from another cartoon. So I think they have focused too much on making it more relevant to what kids are interested into these days, which is primarily superhero films. Like I said, there's no ghosts, there's no ghoulies. I love that word ghoulies, by the way, it's a funny, funny word. Uh, but there's no ghosts, there's no ghoulies, but there are a lot of flying spaceships and like robot dogs and stuff like that. And it didn't feel like the Scooby-Doo that I certainly remember growing up. This makes those live action movies look like masterpieces as far as I'm concerned, because they did have Sarah Michelle Gellar, they did have Freddie Prince Jr. Great casting and the designs of the creatures and the ghosts were really great. But this just felt really flat, overly complicated for the sake of it. And it did lose a lot of its charm very, very quickly. So yeah, not a fan of this either. I didn't realise Sarah Michelle Gellar and Freddie Prince Jr. are married. Had no idea. Yes. Scooby Doo brought them together, you see. So that's something that good came out of that movie. Yeah, well, I don't think much is going to come from this one, <laughs> that's for sure. Moving on now to a film that you've seen, getting a lot of hype this minute on Netflix. This is The Old Guard with our girl, Charlize Theron. Oh, oh, oh. We love Charlize Theron. She is terrific. I love her in Mad Max Fury Road, which I know you love as well, Dan. Um, so yeah, this is The Old Guard, which I literally finished watching about 40 minutes ago. And this is based off of a comic book directed by Gina Prince-Blythewood. And it stars Charlize Theron as Andy. She is an immortal. She has lived for centuries and centuries. We never find out how old she actually is through the film. And she leads a, basically a team of immortals. She's got three other immortal companions who are basically trying to keep their heads down. It is set in the modern day. They're trying to keep their heads down with all the modern technology which is around these days. They're worried about people finding out who they are, that the fact that they're immortal. And they get drawn into a conspiracy when one of the immortals draws them to the attention of a CIA operation to save some girls which have been kidnapped in Sudan. It turns out that it's a trap, that it's actually the government testing their immortal powers. And from there, they start basically are on the run from the government who want to harness their immortality to save the world and cure diseases. Meanwhile, you have a new immortal on the scene, played by Kiki Lane, who's fantastic as well. She plays Nile. Uh, she's a soldier in Afghanistan, and she's killed in action, but suddenly wakes up. And the kind of group of immortals also have to track her down to bring her into the fold, protect her from the government danger, and to basically talk her through what life as an immortal actually is. Here's a clip. How are you all in my dreams? We dream of each other. They stop when we meet. It used to take years to track a new one. Booker was the last. 1812. No way. Yeah, I died fighting with Napoleon. So, you're even older than him. Nicky and I met in the Crusades. The Crusades? The love of my life was of the people I've been told to hate. <laughs> we... We killed each other. Many times, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I 
You're the oldest. Yeah. Well, how old are you? Old. How old? Too old. So we really never die. This was actually the last of three films I've watched today. And I said to you before we came on, uh, before we recorded this, two of the films are on one level and then this is on a completely different level for me. The concept, that concept, wow, absolutely terrific concept. A group of immortals who've lived through centuries and centuries being hunted by the government. You know, I just think it, it, it's, a, it's a genius concept. Uh, which is brilliantly executed here. And you know it's a good concept when um, it just immediately draws you in. And it was quite funny today because my better half was um, just kind of pottering around. She was like, she's like, oh, I'll leave you to it. And then I could just see her keep glancing over at the screen. And I was like, they're immortals. And I started telling her the plot and then like she was supposed to leave the house but she decided to stay and watch the, the whole movie wow. instead because she was just completely hooked by by the concept because it, it's a great concept which has the kind of the, the modern day um, aspects of it but there's just so much you can do with that idea of immortality so there's a lot of flashbacks to you know different eras you start to learn about the characters and what the film does really well it is exciting it is exhilarating it is a big bold summer action movie but it really lets you get to know the characters and kind of immerses you into the rules of this world as well so there's a lot of time spent with characters talking about their past their history and you know what the rules are of their immortality so I love that I love that there's a lot of world building and, and that you haven't just got these big exciting pieces but you've got that character investment as well so that stuff is terrific the fact that it blends action and character development really really well you've got these fantastic performances or you know throughout it Charlize Theron I think she is just a great action star. You know, she she's fantastic because she does it all. She, you know, we've seen her in Monster. We've seen her do dramatic performances. And even to this day, films like Tully, very versatile. Tully was great. Then you've got her in Longshot, which she's doing all-out comedy, and she's fab in that. And then she jumps from Longshot to The Old Guard, where she's literally just kicking ass and taking names. She is astonishing. And I love the supporting cast as well. And... It just comes back down to that concept for me. It's just such a great concept. And they've already announced that, you know, they're not just planning for a sequel, they're planning for a franchise of this. Mm. And it is a rare, it's a rare situation where I watched it and I kind of knew they set up certain stuff in this film where I was like, oh, they're immediately setting the sequel up here by introducing certain characters. You know, they kind of aiming for a sequel there. And there is a post-credit scene, so definitely stay put for, for the post-credits, which basically blatantly says, yes, there is going to be the old guard too, and maybe three. And I'd be up for that. I really would, because it is something original. Even though it's an action flick, it, it felt like a breath of fresh air, because, you know, they are superheroes in a sense, but it's not your usual kind of superhero movie. 
And I just loved it. I thought it was terrific. The soundtrack is brilliant. And I cannot wait for you to watch it because I know, I've just got that feeling that you're going to really, really love it. It's very high up in my list. Not quite in my top 10, but very high up in my list of films of 2020 so far. Certainly the best blockbuster of the year so far. And I know they've been few and far between. But fair play to Netflix. With this and Extraction, they have put two really solid blockbuster movies um, to get us through lockdown. So I'm really appreciative of it. It's called The Old Guard. It's on Netflix now. It's a really great popcorn movie. And I think it's going to do really, really well. Give me the sequel now. Can't wait. Congratulations on your first command at last. I'll always be looking for you, Evie. Even if I'm a thousand miles away. Air escort to Greyhound. You will now be out of range of air cover for the next five days. How many crossings does this make? This was my first. I got some. Most likely a U-boat. He's trying to slip under us! Fire! We have a kill. Distress rockets, sir. We have hits directly on the convoy. The wolf bag's haunting us. U-boat, starboard bound! Seven ships and 50 souls. What you did yesterday got us to today. It's not enough. So this is Greyhound, it's directed by Aaron Schneider. It's his first film in 11 years, and it stars Tom Hanks. And obviously this was due for cinema release. It's by Sony. And then kind of not that long ago, a couple of weeks ago, they were like, no, we're going to drop it to Apple TV. Despite the fact, I mean, I'm kind of with you on this. I think this would have been a perfect film to open the cinema season, but we're not going to get onto that. Story-wise here, this is set in 1941, early in World War II. Uh, you've got Tom Hanks, he plays an, an inexperienced US Navy captain. This is his first time leading his, his, uh, you know, his team. And basically, he has to lead an Allied um, convoy as they're being stalked by these Nazi U-boat wolf packs. So he is basically, he has allies with him. He has the Canadians, the Americans, the British Navy SEALs who are near him. But what he has as well is these German boats who are closing in on him and his men. And he's got to basically take the lead, take charge, and try and save the lives of all those men. Now, I watched this, this this morning, and there's no doubt, right from that, this has all the cinematic appeal of any film I've seen in a long, long time. I was watching this, and I just thought, wow, what a shame. I know Tom Hanks has come out and said it as well. Um, but he, you know, he said, no offence to Apple TV, but this should not be on there. And I completely agree. I think Sony's buckled under the pressure. I'm really not happy about it, to be honest with you, because you know, it's a testament to the film that, you know, I did enjoy it so much. But I think on the big screen, this would have just been perfect. 
uh, with the runtime as well of 90 minutes. I think this would have just been brilliant. Um, and I don't like seeing that Apple TV logo on the poster. I don't know what it is. It doesn't feel right. Do you, you know, I don't know. It's weird. Um, anyways, it, it is weird seeing the Apple. Yeah, it's, it's very strange. It's weird. I'll, I'll have my pears on my apricots, please. No, thank you. Um, so, yeah, so I saw this after Scoob this morning, and I kind of went in with mixed expectations because I don't really enjoy naval ships movies. Like, not a big fan of Hunter Killer with Gerard Butler. This is very different, <laughs> I guess. Um, but just not, I'm not a big fan of, like, Hunt for Red October. I just find those films quite dull. Uh, but I've got to admit, I really love this film a lot. I, I've got to say, it's a testament to it, the fact that, I can't remember the last time I was so immersed in this film. I think the same way maybe you were with The Old Guard. It just felt, went so quick. I can't remember the, another film this year that had gone so quick than this. Um, obviously, it's 90 minutes. Um, but what it does really well is it's set in real time. It's set in a, a one location, real time, as we follow Tom Hanks and, and his men try and defend themselves. And I watched the first 10 minutes. You have a subplot involving him and, him and Elizabeth Moss their kind of relationship, about to be engaged, he has to go off to war. I'm watching it and I thought by the 40 minute mark, I thought, right, they're gonna have to flashback now. They're gonna have to stop this. They're gonna have to have some exposition shoved in there and it's gonna get really dull. They don't, they keep it going and going and going. And you go, oh, hold on, this is actually set in real time. I had no idea. Not only is Tom Hanks absolutely terrific as he always is in this, you've got a really great supporting cast. Uh, Stephen Graham, I really liked in this as well. Although that Scouser accent was popping in here and there. I could hear it. I was like, eh. Um, and this like I said, is very, very good. And I think, looking at the reviews, this film is getting quite positive reviews. But the one criticism people have been giving it is that we don't know anything about Tom Hanks' character. Um, we'd like to know more about his backstory. And I think, I totally understand that, but here's my angle on it. We say all the time in filmmaking, show, don't tell. That is the one rule. And this film is a perfect example of that, I think, because they could have started off with a narration my name is so, 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 and this is my story, as they always do in these World War II uh, biopics. They could have had constant flashbacks of him, like with his children or his wife, or him at a previous mission, but they don't, because what the filmmaker, what the director Aaron Schneider does so well, is that he actually allows you to see those traits in his character come out during, how, during those really difficult circumstances he finds himself in the film. The fact that he is a leader, um, he does take risks with his men. He is, he feels very responsible. You can tell that he doesn't quite know what he's doing because it is his first mission. But for me, that didn't bother me. I didn't need a backstory about him because I felt like Tom Hanks's performance in itself really just delivered for me. And I felt I didn't walk away going, oh, who is this guy? Because it's not based on a true story. Obviously, it's based in real events, but it's not about a certain person's life. If this was like a, a Winston Churchill biopic, it'd be different, you know? But I felt like I didn't, that didn't bother me at all. In fact, I kind of liked it. I liked the fact that they're not feeding an exposition every 10 minutes. And like I said, I feel like the fact that the decisions he makes, the actions he makes in the film, for me, I got, I, I got a lot out of it. I, I kind of saw him as a character and I was like, okay, fair enough. Not only that, but some of the scenes are so tense really tense, really taut, really nail-biting. We talked about 7500 7, a couple of weeks ago, and this reminded me of that a lot. And you have a really capable actor in a situation that is so pulse-pounding, that is so riveting, and you just, I honestly, my heart was pounding so, so fast during this, and it never really gave up. You know, it, it carried on all the way through the movie. And like I said, the runtime is so good. It literally, it's just under 90 minutes, and I'm like, if only every World War II film could be this then, our oh, life would be so much simpler. I loved it. I, it's just been to my top 10. 
Uh, I wow. think it's great. Yeah, really enjoyed it. It's a shame it's not coming out in cinema. But I tell you what, you've got Tom Hanks at the helm. He hasn't let me down this year. He's uh, two films in my top ten with Tom Hanks. God bless the guy. He's great. Um, yeah, loved it. I had a different experience to you, I think, with this one. I definitely feel like I missed out seeing a Greyhound on the big screen. And if anything, I'm pissed off with Apple for doing this and Sony for doing this because I feel like I would have enjoyed Greyhound far more if I had seen it on a, on a completely immersive, you know, like super screen in Cineworld or IMAX. I feel like it would have been far, far better than just me sitting in my living room watching it on, on my TV. And I've got a good TV. I've got a good TV. I've got 4K. I was watching this in 4K. And I still felt like I missed out on, on a lot, to be honest. There are certain films, like you said, which, you, which work well on small screens and you don't miss out on much. 7500 is a perfect example of that because 7500, it's claustrophobic. You're in that one, like you're in the cockpit the entire time, the entire length of that movie. It's claustrophobic. So if anything, watching it on a small screen in, in your, you know, in your living room kind of adds to that claustrophobia aspect of it. But this, it's just the complete opposite. It's waves crashing. It's guns firing. It's like uh, torpedoes being fired, airplanes like firing bombs, you know, missiles at a U-boat. And that just didn't really work for me on the small screen. I think if I had been in the cinema, I think I would have been so invested in it, like you, fully immersed in it. I think I would have just been sat there on the edge of my seat the whole time thinking this is an experience. Not quite on the same level of like something like 1917, but still an experience. And I love films like that where you literally go in an hour and 20 minutes real time and you've come out and your heart is pounding and you think, God, like, I felt like I was on that ship. Watching it on television, for me, I did not feel like I was on that ship. The whole time I just sat there thinking, this is fine. It's doing its job really well. Tom Hanks obviously wrote the script. Tom Hanks has a very good knowledge of like stories in World War II. This is very much... Um, a dad type of movie a lot of people have described it as something like if you've watched Band, Band of Brothers or The Pacific you're going to really enjoy this movie and I think that's right you know I, I know for a fact you know if my grandfather was still around today this would be his film all over he'd be all over this type of movie um, and I do like what's interesting I love films or like um, with you boats and stuff I love Hunt for Red October I even like the Matthew McConaughey you father seven one like i love those like submarine movies but this just wasn't doing it for me it definitely tried to add that character development that you mentioned some people have criticized it not having but i think if anything the filmmakers trying to add the character development took away from the movie because you see elizabeth shoe in like the first five minutes <laughs> and then she's like pretty much gone the whole like you know there's I think in total, she's probably got about six minutes screen time in, in the 90 minute movie. So I'm with you. I don't think it needed any character development at all. It could have literally, they could have just focused on it being, you know, pulse pounding experience, like you said, an immersive cinematic experience where you sit in there like, you know, 4DX. You can imagine seeing this in 4DX with the 
water and everything and the movements. They, sh they should have put this in the cinema. It's plain and simple. They should have been on the big screen. So I can totally get why Tom Hanks was like, oh, I'm not really happy with that. And he's kind of had to backtrack in recent interviews and gone, oh, well, actually, it's great because everybody can kind of watch it now at the comfort of their home. But I, I, if I was him, if I'd written this script, I would be annoyed right now because for me, this deserved the big screen treatment. I, I admire it. I think technically it's a good film. I think it's got some thrills in there. I love the, like the um, German U-boat kind of tormenting the, the troops on, on the boat and stuff. I thought that was really like eerie and it kind of put me on the edge of my seat. But when you compare it to something like 7500, I think it definitely wasn't, it didn't have the same effect on me. I really, really, truly wanted it to, but it just didn't work on the small screen for me. Absolutely, and I think it's, it says something about the industry, doesn't it? That the fact that Tom Hanks' hands were tied and he wrote the screenplay for it, and even he had no input into what Sony were gonna do with the film. And it is kind of that other side of the industry where it's all financial, it's all money-based, isn't it? And they knew, I, I think, with the situation right now, cinemas are opening, but not as many as they would have liked. And I think they were like, right, financially, let's just put it on streaming. They, you know, they, they don't care about the film. They don't care about someone's experience of the movie, like you said about. And it's a, this is a nice case study, I think. I think it's really interesting, the kind of background behind it, because I can't think of a film, and I always say this all the time, but I can't think of a film in recent memory that would have been better suited on the screen. Honestly, I think you're totally right. And with that, it's uh, almost the end of the show. It's gone so quick, but a good selection of films this week, all available on streaming for you. You've got lots of choice this weekend, definitely for catching a couple of movies. And thank you again to Cecil Trachtenberg from Good Bad Flicks. It was lovely to chat with you. And don't forget, you can follow us on social media. We're on Facebook under the Dan and Joe Film Show. We're on Twitter at DJ Film Show and on Instagram at DJ Film Show 2. And you can catch all our old episodes on Mixcloud, Spotify, Apple Music, all those streaming platforms are on. And also, if you want to catch just the reviews, get, get to the good bits, get to the fat. We're, we're on YouTube as well. Uh, and you can catch our reviews there at the Dan Joe Film Show. Um, and again, thank you, Joe. It's been a pleasure, as always. Always a pleasure. I'll probably see you sometime next week to talk about something or other, talk about our plans coming up in the future, some very exciting stuff. And, um, yes, yeah, stay safe out there, Dan, and enjoy your trip to Bristol, Brizzle, as they call it. Okay, stay safe out there. Wait, make sure you wear, like, a T-shirt saying, I love Bristol or something, just so... You know, you they, they'll, they'll. I will. Open I will. It's, it's it won't be. I live NYB. I live BR. It'd be great. And actually, I'll, I'll bring a John Travolta shirt. I'll have John Travolta's face on it if you want from the fanatic. That'd be yeah. great, wouldn't it? You, you definitely won't get beaten up wearing that for sure. Yeah, <laughs> definitely not. <laughs> Love it. Um, yeah, have a have a good time too, mate. And we'll speak soon. And thank you so much for watching and listening. And we'll see you next time. Goodbye. Bye bye.